90 in the church Bibles. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, um, starting in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your forefathers who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. And following on in chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country, what he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived in this place, and what he did to Dathan and Arabim, sons of Eliab, uh, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. Now over to verse 16. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Well, keep it open that those 
Two readings, chapter 10 and chapter 11. And let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Deuteronomy. Thank you for all that we've been able to to learn and to hear about you. And we pray that you will continue to teach us through this great book. Teach us about God. Teach us about ourselves. And teach us about the Lord Jesus and his spirit. So please work amongst us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Deuteronomy, as we have been seeing in our studies, is a collection of sermons um, or a series of talks that's been given by Moses to God's people just before Moses dies and the people cross over into the promised land. It's his final, his farewell speech. And in his sermons, he's been telling the people, practically right up to chapter 10, of all the things that God has been doing for them, and all the things that God will do for them. But now as we get to chapter 10 and chapter 11, the emphasis has begun to shift. The focus is no longer on what God has done for us, but what is our response to all that God has done for us? In other words, how are they going to live in the land? What's their behaviour going to be? What does God expect of them as they go into the land? Well, we're going to unpack this by looking at three things. What God demands from us, why God demands of us, and how we respond to God's demands. So what God demands from his people, why God can demand it, and how we are to respond to his demands. So first, what God demands from us. That's the question that is being asked right at the very beginning in chapter 12. In fact, if you looked at the catechism, we asked the question, what does the law of God require of us? It's the question that we read here in verse 12. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What is it that God requires? What does he expect of his people? Well, look at the rest of verse 12. What does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. And this theme is repeated throughout these two chapters. So, chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God. And keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Or verse 31. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you, 
When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws that I am setting before you today. Now this is nothing less than a demand for wholehearted loyalty, total commitment and devoted allegiance to God and to nobody else. It's as if God is making a claim on our lives. He's making it crystal clear that our life is no longer our own. It now belongs exclusively to God. And we mustn't think that this is an optional extra for the very keen. This is what God demands of all his people. It was spoken to the whole gathering. It's not unlike the relationship between a commander and a soldier, or a husband and a wife. Let me use these as as illustrations to show. A commander, because of his very position in the army, has the right to demand of his soldiers that they obey him. If he gives a command, the expectation is whenever he gives an order that they will be carried out without delay. A wife, because of her relationship to her husband, has a right to receive from her husband, to receive love. There is an expectation that she will experience in her life his devotion and his loyalty. Now, because of the relationship that exists between God and his people, God demands our loving obedience and our obedient love. It is nothing less than a demand for wholehearted loyalty, total commitment and devoted allegiance to God and to no one else. So that is what God demands of us. He is demanding our whole life, everything that we are, our heart, soul and mind, to love him above all else. Now, second question, why does God demand of us like this? Who does he think he is to demand of us his total allegiance and all our love? Well, the reason God can make such demands is because of who he is. Look at verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Who is saying that God owns the entire universe? Every square inch of the universe belongs to God. There's not one blade of grass, there isn't one galaxy in space that God cannot say, this is mine. It all belongs to him, and we belong to him. But we should never think of God as some distant dictator who's sitting on his throne away out there somewhere, abusing his power, issuing these orders that we love him just to satisfy his own ego. No, God can demand of us because of what he has done for us. He owns everything, we belong to him, but he has also done something amazing for us. Two things. First, we have come to know his grace. 
Everything belongs to God. Yet, look at verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and he loved them and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. You see, God isn't cold and distant. He has actively intervened into this world and into our lives and he has actively loved you. He has reached down, as it says in verse 15, and he has chosen you, he has set his affection on you. He is delighted in calling you and giving you his love. It is personal and intimate. And we must never think that this is in response to what we have done or who we are. No, look at verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no brides. So God is not responding to our love. He's not reacting to our obedience. He shows no partiality. God loves us. He sets his affection upon us simply because he loves us. It is because of God's grace that we are his treasured possession. Now this grace is not just a thought or an idea that we have kind of a way out there separate from us. It has been experienced in our lives. It is grace experienced. Look at chapter 11, verse 2. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed and the things he did in in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. Verse 5, it was not to your children who saw what he did for you in the desert until you arrived at this place. Verse 7, But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things that the Lord has done for you. You see, God's grace is not some hand-me-down memory. It's not a second-hand experience that gets passed along the family. This isn't somebody else's story that we have to try and relate to. It is something that we can experience personally in our own lives. Verse 7, he says to the people, it was with your own eyes that you saw all these great things that the Lord has done. He had rescued them from Egypt. He had provided for them in the desert. He spared their lives when they grumbled and complained and they disobeyed. This is not the experience of someone else somewhere else. This was their experience. This was their story. This was their life. And they knew God's act of love in their lives firsthand. And it is no different for us. God's grace is experienced in our lives every single day. Even this very day we've known his grace to us in providing us with the food that we eat, the homes that we live in, the families that we have, the friends that we have. 
the tap, the water that we, we have from the tap, all of these things are signs of God's abundant grace to us. And we have them every single day. And they just bypass us without any thought. But yet they are all God's good gifts to us. And we experience it. But above all of this, we experience the rescue of God through his Son, Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us and who accepts us and welcomes us into his family to be his very children. He has provided us with all that we have through Jesus. He cares for us. He treasures for us. The Bible tells us that he has provided us with everything that we need for life and godliness. God, through his grace, gives us everything. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve when we rebel against him. And yes, we might say, okay, the death and the resurrection and the life of Jesus may have been an event in history away back there somewhere, but it's not a hand-me-down experience of somebody else. No, through faith in Jesus, the effects of all that Jesus has done for us can be experienced in our lives every single day. We can own, as it were, verse 7, it's with our own eyes that we have seen these great things that the Lord has done. This isn't somebody else's story. This is our story. God's grace is known today and it is something to enjoy today. And this is the reason why God can demand our loving obedience and our obedient love. And we've got to be clear on this. God doesn't rescue his people as, he, as we've seen in Deuteronomy and he doesn't rescue and provide for us and then say, you know what, do what you like when you get into the promised land. It doesn't matter how you live, you choose how you want to live. No, God says, because of what I have done for you, my grace and my love that has been lavished upon you, you now belong to me. You're mine. So God's grace isn't something that we can just take it or leave it and, and kind of abuse it whenever we wish. No, grace is deeply personal and intimate. It's relational. It's about God who owns the universe being in relationship with people like us. And it's binding. We can't break out of it. It's demanding upon us. And because of all that God has done for us in our lives, there's not one inch of our lives, not one part of our life that God doesn't say, Mine. That means there is nothing that God can't ask of you. There is nothing that God can't require of you. There is nothing that he can't demand of you. We belong to him. We are his. And so there is this demand that we would love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. Now I'm sure as we just even think about those two things, that what God demands of us, our total allegiance, our complete love, 
and that why God demands of us, this, this demand can overwhelm us. Look at chapter 10, verse 12 again. Just try and think how we could possibly do this. He says, Fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, love him, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Or chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. Or verse 32. Be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws that I am setting before you today. Now that to me is, is a huge big weight that's heavy upon our shoulders. And the weight of it is this. We know what is required of us. We know that we are to love God with all our heart. We know that we're meant to obey all of his commands. But here's the the, the crunch of it. We know that we'll never do it. Deep down we know that this is just an impossible task. So how are we to respond to such demands? Well, I think there's two very helpful steps that we can take that will help us to love God and to obey his commands. The first is this. Circumcise your hearts. Can you flick it up there, Graham? I think it's there. There we go. Circumcise your hearts. Look at verse 16. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Now, circumcision, we know, was this outward sign that you belonged to God. You were part of the covenant family. But we also know that this external procedure doesn't actually change your heart. Having your foreskin removed doesn't, least, doesn't suddenly enable you to love God and to obey God. It It doesn't work like that. So he's saying here, verse 16, look, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. What we need is not an external procedure, but an internal procedure. We need a surgeon who's going to come along and cut away the impure, the wrong motives, the false desires, and deal with our hearts, so that we will be able to love God. Well, you say, that's grand, circumcise your hearts. Well, who's going to do that? Are we meant to do it? Well, look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, here's a promise from God in Deuteronomy 30, and it comes in the context of our disobedience okay this is important we get this right it comes in the context of our disobedience so chapter 30 verse 2 it says when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today so they've already kind of gone offside a little bit they've been disobedient he's now called them back to himself And then he makes this promise in verse 6. 
The Lord your God. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God is going to be the surgeon. He's the one who's going to do the cutting away. He's going to deal with our hearts so that we can give him our loving obedience. Now that's good news for us because I don't know about you, but I can't deal with my heart. I can't love God as I ought to. I need somebody else to do it. So God says, I'm going to do it for you. But, but again, how is he going to do it? Well, jump forward to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. This is where God's promise to circumcise our hearts becomes a reality. And he tells us how he's going to do it. Romans chapter 2 verse 28. So he's been talking all about the tradition of circumcision, the outward and how it doesn't change anybody. So we get to his little summary in verse 28 of chapter 2. It says there, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. So let me just try and paraphrase this a little bit so we can get to, to grips with what's being said. Verse 28, A person is not a true believer if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a true believer if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. And that circumcision of the heart is done by the Spirit. You see, the only way our hearts can be changed, the only way that we can love God and obey God, is when the Holy Spirit goes at work in our hearts and begins to change us. Because we are completely and utterly powerless to meet God's demands. Without Him, we cannot love Him with our heart, soul and strength. But how often do we come before God and ask Him to perform this kind of surgery in our lives. When was the last time we sat down and said, Spirit of God, change my heart to love you more. Spirit of God, change my heart so that I will obey you. Because we cannot do it on our own. And he has given us the very resources to do it. So that's the first step. We need to circumcise our hearts by the Spirit of God calling on him to do that change. The second thing we need, and they're both connected, so I don't want to see these as two different things, but as one big step together. We need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11 for this. The second step is this, to fix God's words in your hearts. 
Fix God's words in your heart. Chapter 11 and verse 18. He says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and teach them to your children and so on. Now literally, people did tie verses of scriptures on their wrists and on their foreheads. Uh, They were called phylacteries. They were just little boxes with verses of scripture and tied around their heads. And this was this external sign to show their love and devotion and obedience to God. But we all know that words tied on your hands or on your foreheads They don't change us or transform us. It's the same as maybe me getting a nice big tattoo of Kirsty on my arm here with saying, I love you dearly, or something like that. Now, a tattoo isn't going to make me love my wife. It might remind me, but it doesn't make me do it. In the same way, words of Scripture aren't going to change us. They they must be, as it says in verse 15, these words must be fixed In our hearts, they must be written in our hearts, internally. But how is that going to happen? Well, as we read God's word, the Spirit not only cuts away what is unclean in our hearts, but he puts God's words into our hearts, into our lives. You see, if we're ever going to meet these great big demands of God, if we're going to fear God, as it says in verse 12, if we're going to walk in his ways, if we're going to love him and serve him with all our heart and with all our soul, if we're going to keep his commands, if we're going to follow his laws as his people in this world, what we need to do is this. We need to book in for regular surgery. And I want to leave us with this image or this picture as something that we should be doing on a daily basis. We need to go into God's operating theatre. And as we go into God's operating theatre, there we will find the chief surgeon, the Holy Spirit. And in his hands, if we can picture it like this, in his hands are the instruments for doing that surgery. That instrument is God's word. So the Holy Spirit, the surgeon, has the implements, God's word. And as we submit to him, as we submit to him in the operating theatre, the Spirit of God takes the word of God and he begins to cut away, to circumcise our hearts, to take away the unclean and the impure to take away the loves that we have for other things and for other people. And then he begins to write on our hearts the beauty and the purity of God's word. Written in our hearts in such a way that we begin to live out that word in our lives day by day. That we begin to love God with all our hearts and with all our soul and with all our minds. And it's only by taking these two steps that we can respond to God with loving obedience and obedient love. Let's just pause there for a minute. And let's right now, individually 
and on our own. Just talk to God right now. We've seen his demands and why he demands because of his amazing grace. But we can't do that on our own. We need to go to God's operating theatre. So let's now, in prayer, privately and quietly, ask the Holy Spirit to take God's word to do his work in our lives right now so that we will love him and obey him as we should. Let's do that now. Our Father God, your demands are great and we feel the weight of it. But yet we thank you that that weight has been lifted because you are the one who comes into our lives to change us day by day and that it is you through your power of your Holy Spirit that enables us to love you and to obey you. Please forgive us in this past week where we have not loved you as we ought, where we have not obeyed you. And please help us and encourage us every day to walk into, as it were, that operating theatre, asking that your Spirit, through your word, would do his work changing us so that you have our loving obedience and our obedient love. Thank you for the great God that you are. Please go on changing us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the song that we're going to finish picks up on that final 